0: Welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that it inspires you and gives you a fresh perspective. Enjoy the sermon. Come on, at all of our locations today, let's just thank the Lord for His presence. God, we love you today. We're so grateful to be in the presence of an almighty God today. Shout out to our West location there in Apex. How you doing? Shout out to the South side at the Regal White Oak Theater in Garner. And shout out to the East side as well. Let's clap our hands. Welcome all of our first time guests. Hey, we're glad you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Mike and uh, my wife Ashton and I moved here at the age of 24. Our frontal cortex had not yet been developed, so we made some very big faith-filled decisions before we even grew up. And we started a church in our living room that you are now sitting in, to God be the glory, 10 years ago for all that He has done. He has sustained us, and He has been so good. And you, if you're here for the first time, or maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, are a dream come true to us And our church has been praying and preparing and planning for your arrival. It's not an accident that you're here today and we think it's a very big deal. So if you'll just do us one favor, that is to grab the little purple U card that is located in the seat around you. If you fill that out today and take it to the lobby, we would love to put a free gift in your hand. It's just our way of saying thank you for joining us. And then you could RSVP for our party with the pastor where you can get to know us a little bit better, hear our story and allow us a chance to get to know you. Uh, That's the first Sunday of every single day. Month, and we're just really glad that you're here today. One more time, can we show our appreciation to all of our first time guests today? Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Whether you know this or not, we are a very influential church around the nation. As a matter of fact, uh, earlier this week on Monday and Tuesday, we hosted our first ever Break 200 conference where pastors from over 20 different states came to learn how to break the 200 barrier in attendance at their church. And so to God be the glory for his goodness and his grace, he's using you and us together to teach other pastors how to grow their church and reach more people for Jesus. And I just wanna say thank you. When you give, when you pray, when you serve, and when you allow the Lord to use this church, he's not just using it in your house, he's not just using it in your neighborhood, but there will be testimonies in heaven that only you will hear of people who came to the conference and learned and were reached because their pastors were equipped to learn from what we do right here. In Raleigh, North Carolina from 20 different states. So I just want to say thank you. Can you give yourselves a hand for your contribution to the gospel poured out all week? We are smack dab in the middle of a series we've titled The Next X. It's all about making decade defining decisions. The first week was, if God says it, I will do it. And then last week we said, if there's an offense that attaches itself to me, I will release it back to God. I will live offense free. And the premise of the series is this, is that it is your decisions, not your desires, that determine your destiny. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back at our West location. It is your decisions, not your desires, that determine your destiny. Not intention, but direction. Will get you where you want to go i can intend to be buff and jacked and cut and sliced and diced and i can intend to bench press 250 pounds but until i decide to go progressive overload with my bench press and eat more protein than i could possibly consume in a day the decisions are what make your destiny and sometimes you hear a song and you decide what the lyrics are you don't look them up. You don't Google them. You just sing them at the top of your lungs. Regardless of what the lyrics really are, you have decided that these this is what the song says. Come on now. You, you've Googled lyrics. You'll be like, I've been singing that wrong for decades. <laughs> we had some parents send us in some of their testimonies from VBS. It says, uh, when they would sing Hosanna in the highest at Catholic Church growing up, I always thought they were saying lasagna in the highest. Me at five years old wondering, why are we singing about pasta? The next one says this. It says, my brother thought the hymn that goes, he sought me and bought me with his redeeming love was actually, he socked me and bought me with his redeeming love. His Jesus was way more aggressive with his display of affection. (laughs) So great. So great. This one says, um, my daughter sang, your face is a muff instead of your grace is enough and her little heart sang it with such conviction on that vbs stage vbs vacation bible school i love this one uh, we call the blessing the breakfast song because my son thinks she sings omelet instead of amen and i remember growing up i thought when we sing i exalt thee we were singing i am salty It's interesting how we can drift from the original intent of some lyrics. (laughs) Over time, you start to convince yourself that that's really what it says. And uh, the same is true for our nation. As a matter of fact, in 1860, the Supreme Court ruled 8 to 0, meaning unanimously. There was no pushback whatsoever that if a public high school didn't teach the Bible, they would not get government funding. Let me just read that one more time because that's a very uh, jarring point in history that if we were to compare it to today's world, we, we would really see how far we've drifted. In 1860, the Supreme Court ruled eight to zero unanimously that if a public high school didn't teach the Bible, they would not get government Funding And a hundred years later, here we are, three generations later, there's no Bible to be found in government institutions anywhere. There's no prayer to be found in government institutions anywhere. And yet the same country that we lived in in 1860 voted eight to zero that if you didn't teach the Bible, you wouldn't get funding. It's amazing. And that's why we have to continue to pray for this nation. And it would be so easy for me to make this sermon about this nation. But if we're really honest with ourselves, not just politically, not just nationally, but individually, we are subject to drift. We're subject to, if we don't stay in the perfect pleasing and good will of God, which is what I want for your life, that eventually down the road, we would look back at some decisions we made that were inspired, anointed, and the right thing to do, but we had drifted from them too far. And so I'm not here today to preach to you that America's off the rails, and oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? I'm here to preach to us about what if we're off the rails? What if there were decisions that we made in our past? What if there was conviction that we once had that is no longer there? What if there was a love for God that once was there that is no longer there? How can we over the next decade decide that we too will not drift such as our nation drifted? Paul even says this and he convinced me that this isn't just an American problem. This isn't even just a Mike Santiago problem. This is an ancient problem. It's a biblical one. As a matter of fact, Paul in the book of Galatians to the church at Galatia, he comes in hot. I mean, this is first chapter, no pleasantries, no hello. How are you doing? How are the kids? He comes in the first chapter verses six through eight to a, to a church in Galatia. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I don't know about you, but over the next 10 years, I do not want to live under God's curse. I don't want to spend a second under God's curse. I want to live under the blessing, favor, and anointing of God. And I want your family to live under the blessing and favor and anointing of God. I want you to find the exact center of His perfect, pleasing will for your life. And how does that happen? we got to make a decade-defining decision. What is that decade-defining decision? I'm glad you asked. We have a decision. We can either drift and live under God's curse, or we can decide to live under God's covering. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we not be like the church of Galatia, perverting the gospel deviating from its intent, deviating from its mission. May we not be uh, like this nation, deviating from its intent, deviating from the gospel. But may we not start casting blame. May we just look inside our hearts, look inside our soul, look inside our spirits. And if there's anywhere that we have drifted, perverted, confused, the message of Jesus Christ and the grace that came through your son who died on a cross for our sins, bring us back. Bring us back. We repent as people. We repent already this morning, and I pray that you would help us instill a decade-defining decision today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is this decision? Pastor Mike, I'm glad that you asked. We decided that whatever God says to do, we're going to do it over the next 10 years. We decided that if there was an offense that tries to attach itself to us, we would give it back to God. And this week, and I pray for the next 10 years, I pray for your whole lifetime, but we're just going to think not day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. We're going to think in decades. This decision that we've decided to make today for the next 10 years is to fear the Lord. I've decided to fear the Lord. I've decided to fear the lord now that sounds hyper religious that might sound old school that might sound weird to you but to fear the lord is not to be scared of god to fear the lord is to be scared of being away from god okay let me just explain to you what the fear of the lord is real quick the fear of the lord is not for you to be scared of god but instead for you to be scared of spending one second of your life away from God. That right there, my friends, gets rid of all of the preconceived ideas that you thought when you heard fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, brother. Put a tie on. That has nothing to do with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. I'm not scared of God because I fear Him. I'm scared to do anything outside of God because I fear Him. I don't want to live my life an inch outside of His will for my life. And so instead of you thinking that we serve a God that is scary, I want you to serve a God who you love so much it would be scary to imagine your life without Him. That's the fear of the Lord. And I believe that the fear of the Lord is something that if we were to reestablish, first of all, we could reestablish it as a country, and it would be easy for us to point fingers and say, if we only had the fear of the Lord. But I think the way that you turn a country around is by turning its citizens around. And so like, if we were to worry about our own selves... (laughs) And the fear of the Lord in our lives, we would probably move the needle more than we realize. And instead of spending time looking at those who don't fear the Lord, instead of spending time increasing the fear of the Lord in our own lives, we would find a great increase in God's favor and God's will on our lives. Fear of the Lord means I don't get close to sin, but I stay as far away as possible because I love what God loves and I hate what God hates. Some people will say, oh, I hate them sinners because I fear the Lord. No, no, no. God loves those sinners. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's pharisaical mindset. That's religion. That's tradition. That is um, a danger. It's as sinful for you to be pharisaical or to be religious as it is for someone who lives in an unrepentant lifestyle that has nothing to do with God. If you prioritize the wrong thing. So what is the fear of the Lord? I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you want to be wise? You want to be wise? I want to be wise. Do you know how to be wise? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I want wisdom and understanding, and the common denominator to achieve wisdom and understanding is to fear the Lord. The, the wisest people that I've met are not the smartest people that I've ever met. The wisest people I've ever met fear the Lord the most. You want to be wise? Fear the Lord. You want to have knowledge and understanding? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Psalm 19.9 says this the fear of the Lord is clean. <laughs> we don't like talking about this. In a culture that's muddied the waters into what we believe, in a culture that's trying to push us against what we foundationally believe to be is true, the fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. It's holy. It's righteous. Enduring forever, I mean it outlasts any fad, any, any sort of uh, like temporary thing. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. That's why Lucifer couldn't lead worship in the presence of God forever because pride got in the way and his fear of the Lord weakened and he lost the fear of the Lord. That's why he was sent down to where he lives now. And that's why he was able to take some angels with him because the fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever, Lucifer could not endure forever in the presence of the Lord because he was no longer clean because he lost the fear of God. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Are you learning something about the fear of the Lord today? I'm just trying to teach you how to establish a lifestyle. I would love for you to live the rest of your life fearing the Lord, fearing the Lord, not being afraid of God, but being afraid to live without God. That's key. Isaiah 11:3 3 says this, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. When you fear God, you have, you have way more ammunition to make tough decisions. I've met people who didn't have the capacity to make a hard decision, but yet they feared the Lord and God gave them the answer. Because when you increase the fear of the Lord, you increase wisdom. When you increase wisdom, you increase knowledge. When you increase knowledge, you increase understanding. And when you fear the Lord, everything changes. Every, if, if Trust me when I tell you I am the least qualified person to be up here today. <laughs> but as long as I fear the Lord, favor follows those who fear the Lord. <laughs> Nobody wants the favor of God. With the favor of God, you've got to fear the Lord. Got to fear the Lord. So how do we get wisdom? Well, we've got to look at the wisest person to ever live. Do you guys know who that is? Solomon, wisest person to ever lived, reared in, in the fear of the Lord, raised in the fear of the Lord, wisdom, I'm, talking, I'm not talking smart, I'm talking wisdom, I'm talking he walked into a room and everyone knew to listen to what Solomon was saying because he was the wisest man to ever walk the earth, wise, wise, I don't know about you, I want the wisdom of Solomon, there's a lot of parts of his life that I don't want, but I want the wisdom of Solomon, he was so successful as a king that kings from other nations would come, Queens from other nations, ambassadors would come, and they would learn from Solomon how to rule and reign because he was reigning with such wisdom. But his wisdom wasn't just his human nature. His wisdom came from his fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you study carefully, you'll find that there was no poverty in Solomon's nation. Everyone, it says, had a house and a garden. When you fear the Lord... You start thinking of wise ideas on how to, for everyone around you to prosper. You want this nation to be prosperous again? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. So the wisest man in the world left the fear of the Lord. He had the fear and then it leaked and he didn't replenish the fear of the Lord. And if the wisest man in the world left the fear of the Lord, so can we, if we're not careful. It says in Isaiah 33, 6, that wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. You want to know why your life is unstable? You need wisdom and knowledge. How do I get wisdom and knowledge? Fear the Lord. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. What happens when you lose the treasure that comes with salvation? What happens when you walk in the fear of the Lord and then you walk away from the fear of the Lord? I'm so glad that you've asked. You get the book of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) The book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes after he loses the fear of the Lord. And he starts becoming a cynic. He starts becoming judgmental. He starts looking at his life, and this is what he says. I quote the book of Ecclesiastes. The day I die is better than the day I'm born depressed, anxious. If The book of Ecclesiastes shows us that a person can once fear God and then lose the fear of God. The book of Ecclesiastes gives us a glimpse that a man can learn to walk with the Lord in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and then leave that very wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. But he doesn't leave us there. At the very end of Ecclesiastes, I'm preaching way better than this church is taking notes today, but at the very end of Ecclesiastes verse 12, chapter 12, verse 13, this is what the man who was the wisest man to ever walk on the face of the earth said. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the end of man? What's the conclusion of the whole matter? If we were to boil down my entire life, I was raised to fear the Lord. He led all these nations. He was powerful and authoritative. People came to learn from him and then he lost the fear of the Lord. He gets very depressed, very almost bipolar, almost woe is me, a cynical, judgmental. He says this at the very end, 12 and 13, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What does he say? Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. So what's my decade-defining decision? Fear God, keep His commandments. Fear God, keep His commandments. i got to fear God and i got to keep His commandments because if I don't fear God, I will live a life that is too close to the line of sin. If I don't fear God, I will end up compromising things that used to be sacred. They now become just standard. I'll be dishonoring to the presence of God and to dishonor is not just to belittle or degrade. To dishonor is to simply treat something that is uncommon as common. (laughs) To dishonor is to take the presence of God, the power of God, a life lived for God and to treat it as normal. My dad sold fireworks growing up. He was the state manager for TNT Fireworks, it was his side hustle before y'all knew about side hustles. We would go to Food Lions and the tents that pop up at Walmart, 4th of July, New Year's Eve. He would work a couple months out of the year to make sure. and I would go with him to check on all the tents and all the stores and Food Lions and Piggly Wigglies and uh, uh, Winn-Dixie's, rest in peace. All these places that no longer exist, Albertsons, places like that. I remember as a kid, I would go, and if there was somebody had poked a hole through the plastic and ripped and stolen a portion of the, of the firework package, we had to take that with us because you didn't, you didn't want to sell any damaged product. But the great thing was we got to keep all the damaged product to ourselves. So in case you're wondering what we celebrated at our house, we celebrated uh, 4th of July, 5th of July, 6th of July, and Juneteenth. All of it. We celebrated all of it because we had fireworks for days. And I remember I I would do this with my dad so frequently and so often that to me, he was just in the industry. He was just in the business. So I'd bring my friends over to look at the fireworks, and I'd pop up in my garage. And to them, it was like the Shekinah glory, like, oh, it was like amazing. And and they were like, oh, my goodness, where'd you get all these fireworks? How'd you get? This is incredible. My dad only gives me a sparkler, you know. My dad only lets me have a box of poppets, you know. And I would just shrug my shoulders because what was novel to them had become normal to me. What was, what was standard for me was, was actually sacred to them. And if you're not careful, you will normalize the supernatural life lived for God. And it will actually be dishonoring to God, not because you're angry at God or mean to God, but you're treating that which is uncommon as common. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to remain close to Him without getting too casual with Him. To fear God is to remain close to Him without getting too casual with Him. (laughs) Sometimes we bro God. Bro. Some people catch themselves sometimes calling me bro, which is no big deal because I'm just a dude, but I mean dude God. You know, you bro God. So I have people come and they're like, Pastor bro. You know? You can call me whatever you want, but let's be very careful with what we call God. Because to fear God is to get close to him without getting casual with him. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but he is also holy and mighty and righteous and sacred. Does he love you? He loves you so much. Does he want relations? Yes, he does. He is also sacred. He also should be feared, not scared of, but feared to be without him. Am I helping anybody today? God wants to cover you. When you get under the fear of God, you get under the covering of God. And so God can cover me when I'm close. I got three things. God can cover me when I'm close is the first one. When you're close, God can cover you. It's very hard for him to cover you when you're far off. So come into the fear of the Lord. Come into the relationship with God. Don't dabble with sin thinking that God can still cover you. He loves you. He'll redeem you. But that's not why grace exists. We should not sin more just because grace is there. We should come under covering. And God loves to cover those who are close. As a matter of fact, he calls Moses to take off his shoes. He can speak in specificity when you are within proximity. If you need God to speak clearly, then you need to come close. You can't understand him when he's making, sometimes he doesn't make announcements, sometimes he whispers prophetically. But he can't whisper to you prophetically if there's always the radio's always on or the TV's always on or if the the Snapchat's always open or whatever it might be. He can't speak to you unless you're close. He tells the disciples as he's about to make his triumphant entry into town, he says, please go find me a donkey that has never been ridden. But he doesn't ask everyone to go find him a donkey. He asked only those that were closest to him. I don't know about you, but I want God to speak to me specifically. When's the last time he asked you to do something crazy? Make a U-turn. Go back. Look at that lady in that aisle. Help her out. Look at that coworker that you know is going through a divorce right now. Bring Bring them lunch. These are, these are standard, easy practices that if you got close to God, he'd probably remind you to do more often. Because God can cover you when you're close. When you fear the Lord, he starts to tell you weird things. He doesn't say, I'm going to prosper you. No, he says, this is the business idea that will prosper you. <laughs> it's a different dimension when you fear the Lord. I'm not talking about losing or leaving your salvation. I'm talking about losing or leaving the fear of the Lord. It's two different things. When you learn to fear the Lord, he starts giving you God ideas instead of just good ideas. When you start fearing the Lord, he starts saying, hey, why don't you, why don't you open up this division instead and start selling to that customer because they need what you're selling. When you fear the Lord, you get close. You get, see, the majority of God's clarity happens at close proximity. The further I am from God, the fuzzier his will is for my life. Some of you just live on the, the edge of God's will and it's like, you wonder why you're just in a cyclical pattern. Round and round you go. Ring around the rosy because you're ringing around the, the Lord's will. You don't fear him. When you fear God, you get into the middle of his will. But it's like, man, don't be casual with that. Don't be, don't be, don't normalize that. Get close to him because he can cover you when you're close. The, the fear of the Lord will, will give you an intimate relationship with God like you've never had before. All right, the second thing is this, is God can cover me when I'm clear. When I know who I am and I know whose I am and I know what I'm not and I know whose I'm not and I know what I believe. Man, when you get clarity from God, it's unbelievable the kind of life you can live. When you're thrown into confusion, as Paul talked about to the church at Galatia, you start getting muddy waters and the fear of the Lord is clean and the fear of the Lord is clear. It brings clarity to your life. And In today's society, you have to know what you believe because there's some stuff that God's not into. But they'll put a cross on the logo, and he'll—you'll think that God's into—he's not into that. He's not into horoscopes. He's just not into it. He's not into Pisces or whatever the other ones are. I have no idea. Leo, I have no idea. I don't dabble in that. He's not into chants and, and child sacrifices. He's not into to a lot of the practices uh, that are coming from this time of year during Halloween. He's not into that. Let I me mean, be very clear. you got to be very careful. And back in the day, you could pretty much walk into any church in America and and we basically all believe the same. But nowadays, you don't don't even have to be clear with what the world believes. You have to be clear with what your church believes. Because they'll show up at your door in a white shirt and a tie and they'll agree with everything you say. And then you'll find yourself at their house practicing things that are not of God because you weren't clear on what you believed. I love y'all so much, but some of you are confused. You're like the church at Galatia, diverting, deserting the the original grace message that comes through Christ Jesus. And we need to make sure that the gospel does not get perverted. What happens when you start to be unclear is you start to fall in love with a version of Jesus that gets presented to you that's not the real one. It's, it's the, this cult's version of Jesus or your friend's version of Jesus. I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, I stopped teaching people to fall in love with Jesus. And I was like, hang on a second, I'm gonna keep watching this. <laughs> he said, because when you fall in love with Jesus, you can fall out of love with Jesus because you're falling in love with the version of Jesus that you are receiving at that time. He said, what I've taught people now is to fall in love with the Bible because it, presented, it presents the best version of Jesus for everyone's life, any stage, any age. If you fall in love with the Bible, you automatically fall in love with Jesus. That's really the, the diversion we've taken as a country is that we've now we've presented uh, Jesus instead of presented the Jesus of the Bible. What I wrote in my notes is don't fall in love with anyone's unclear version of Jesus. Fall in love with God's very clear instruction in his word. I promise you right now in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit. And those who know the word will survive. Those who do not know the word will fall subject to things that have been clearly instructed in the scriptures. And so I'm not going to die without telling you that you need to be a person of the word. Person of theology, a person of belief system, a person of clarity, because God can cover you when you're clear. Am I helping anybody today? Okay, cool. I'm going to give you exactly what we believe here at this church. If you're here for the first time, great, great Sunday to be here because uh, it would be weird if you're like, well, what do you believe? You know. These are just a couple of things. Obviously, there are theological nuances, and a lot of training will take place. And Dr. Kirk Leggett and I have been talking about how do we train people in the Word, train people in biblical literacy. So we're working on that. We're trying to create a pathway for people to go deeper in their relationship with God and their understanding. And um, we will be making that accessible to you uh, very soon. But here's just a brief overview of what we believe. Number one, we believe the Bible. Okay, it's the complete verbal inspiration. Of the accepted canon of scriptures originally given, they are infallible and uniquely authoritative, free from any error of any sort in all matters, including scientific and historical, as well as moral and theological. We are Bible people. If you don't hear a verse from this pulpit or 40 verses from this pulpit, leave. If I go 45 minutes and do not reference scripture, if I go 10 minutes and don't reference scripture, you can get up and leave. We're founded on the Bible. It's the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. I give you permission to leave this church if we ever deviate from the Bible. Permission granted. Number two, we believe one God who exists in three persons. Some people would call this the Trinity. The the word Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible, but this expression of God is clearly outlined in Scripture. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's how I would say it. It's distinguishable but indivisible distinguishable but indivisible uh, Sunday school lesson for just a moment it's like an egg is the shell an egg? yeah is the yolk an egg? yeah is the egg white an egg? yes but you don't just you know, have the shell and say that's an egg or just the egg white and say that's an egg and, just the yolk that's an egg it's all an egg, it's all together it is, it is, you can distinguish the parts but they are one egg Sunday school for you it's a good way to teach the kids Some people have said like a three-legged stool, but I don't see many three-legged stools, so that's a terrible example. I feel like that would break, okay? A three-legged stool would break. (laughs) Maybe you can find one somewhere that's a three-legged stool. God sits on the throne. It's a three-legged stool. No, it's an egg, okay? We believe in the test and fall of man that was recorded in Genesis as well as creation. We believe in man's total spiritual depravity and its inability to attain divine goodness. We believe that God is our creator. He created us and we sinned. We separated ourselves from God. All of that is outlined in Genesis. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of this, some of your boys in white shirts and ties would agree with this, but you've got to get, you get nuanced with them because they'll convince you of bad things. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the Savior of all people, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, very God and very man. So he was our answer, Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior for all people. We also believe in Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. He died for our sins, was buried, rose again, and on the third day he appeared to his disciples. We believe in his bodily ascension into heaven and his bodily coming again for the church. Okay, We believe he's in heaven. And he's going to come back for those who believe. We believe in salvation. This is what we present every single weekend at our church. We present the free gift of salvation. only got a couple more. A gift from God for all people of every race, age, and background meaning salvation is not reserved for a certain class or a certain race or a certain economic status. Salvation is for all. It's received through repentance and faith in the perfect, sufficient work of the cross by which we obtain forgiveness of sins. Aren't you grateful for salvation? That's why we preach it every week. It's nothing that we can do, but it's a gift that God offers to all of those who believe. We believe in eternal life. Okay, Everybody here will live forever somewhere. Everybody here will live forever somewhere. For all who believe in the way of salvation that God made for us through Christ, that's we believe that God gave us heaven, and then an eternal consequence of separation from God for all those who reject Christ would be hell. So we believe in heaven and hell. Got real quiet. Go back to the gift of salvation, and you'll be okay. And go back to our Roman series where you've been justified by faith through Christ. Amen? Amen. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And then finally, I have to put this in here because we are charismatic Pentecostal people. And so sometimes you you hear Pentecostal and you could think all sorts of things. This is what it means for us. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't have to be... Uh, speaking in tongues, it doesn't have to be tambourines or courtesy blankets when people fall out. I don't know what, when you think Pentecostal, you think something that happened to you or something you witnessed. When I think Pentecostal, I just think theology. This is what we believe. So we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the operations of the Spirit as they're enumerated in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and demonstrated in the book of Acts in the early church. So we believe in those things. Has this been helpful for you? Okay, cool, cool. As the band comes, we're going to close. One more thing that God can cover you. God can cover me when I cling to the Spirit. (laughs) He can cover me when I'm close. He can cover me when I'm clear, when I know what I believe. And when I hang on to the hem of his garment. When I take off my sandals. When I live in this holy fear, not scared of what he might do, but scared of what might happen to me if I'm not with him. Deuteronomy 30, 20 says that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling, cling. He's not just an accessory that you put on on Sunday mornings. He's not just something that you hang on to when things get tough or when times get uh, challenging. He's my, my first response, not my last resort. I want to live a life where my children watch me cling to him. I don't know what to do, Dad. Cling to the Father. I don't know what to do. Increase the fear of the Lord in your life. I don't know what to do. Cling to the Spirit of God. For he is your life and the length of your days. And you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. So we got to be clingy to God. Not clingy what you think some of you are like i know that person breathing on the phone (laughs) there are some characteristics i think about you all the time that's what you should be able to tell to god i think about you all the time i'm I'm thinking about you all the time i want to talk with you all all the time i want to have a relationship with you it's unlike any other relationship i have in my life I cling to you. I cling to your wisdom and knowledge and understanding that comes from fearing the Lord. I want to walk with God. I want you 30 years from now when I'm old and gray and they're wheeling me out here in a, I don't know, some sort of, you know, I don't know, wheelchair or something. I don't know. I just want them to say he clinged to God. Like he lived a life that was so, so attached to the fear of the Lord. What are the characteristics of a clean Christian? I'm glad you asked. They love what God loves. You gotta love what God loves. God loves people. I hate people. You hate what God loves. I hate the gospel. You hate what God loves. I hate sinners. You hate what God loves. <laughs> you gotta love what God loves. You gotta learn to love what God loves. The only way you know what God loves is to be so close to him that he would tell you, I don't love that. I don't love that place. I don't love the way you are when you open up that bottle. I don't love that prescription. You got to love what God loves. You got to hate what God hates. When you see sin, you have to want to stay away from it, not get close to it. There's no exploratory journey to sin. Well, let me see how close I can get to it. Young people, here on the front row, we're not trying to get close to sin. How much is too much? We're not trying to get to a place where well, it's it's technically not this because we didn't really do this. It's only a picture. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's the sin. They love what God loves, they hate what God hates. They filter their decisions through their faith. So I'm not looking to experts to tell me what to do. I'm deciding if I should buy this house because I believe that God told us first. It's not that you don't get a counsel around you of people who have gone before you. It means that every decision gets filtered through faith. Because if you don't decide through faith, then what are you deciding through? Flesh. If it's not a faith decision, then it's a flesh decision. Every decision you make should be filtered through the lens of your faith. I believe it. I'm going to see it. That's why I've decided to make this happen. They give generously. Man, God loves a generous giver. If you if you want to be in the fear of the Lord, if you want to be a clingy Christian, you got to learn that everything that you own belongs to God. Now, I'm giving back 10%. No, 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 you don't understand. 10% is... It's just a rule. It's like a, it's like a standard we had to set for people who would try to get out of it. It's unfortunate. Because in, the, in my Bible, the early church, it says that they sold everything that they had. It was 10%. They would laugh at us. They'd say, I sold my land for the church. I sold my house so that people would, would know the Lord. I gave everything. They live generously. Notice I didn't say they tithe tithing is a great practice i believe in it i believe that it it brings the blessing of god but to live generously is way more than tithing to live generously is to give of my time my talent and my treasure to say i'm going to live i'm going to be someone that when someone needs something they know they can come to me i'm not going to be a stingy christian i've never met a, a a person who's been blessed with a clenched fist they live they live life with an open hand it's like, man, what I got is yours. These pastors this week that came to visit for our conference, like, you give us those graphics. Yeah, we already made it. I already paid the person to make that graphic. Am I going to charge you? And I've already—it's covered. Why? Because, uh, can I borrow that message series? Totally. Can I do party with the pastor at my church? What am I going to? Is it illegal? I'm going to send the law to your church. Hey, you can't have party with the pastor. That was a Mike Santiago original idea. I don't own intellectual property. Everything I have is God's. Everything I own is the Lord's. The same is true for your life. If you own a truck, you know what it means. Pastor, can I borrow your truck? I just bought a fridge on Facebook. Pastor, can I borrow your truck? I just got a dresser. Every day. Every day, 3 days this week, can I borrow your truck? Of course. Keys are in it. Why? Because I'm not going to be stuck for you having to tiptoe around me if I'm going to live generously or not. Open hand. Dad, can we go to the store? Yeah, you got money. <laughs> I live generously, don't I? Y'all got those new clothes cuz I spent some of my own money. I live generously. Number, number two is number, the next one is this: is they 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 live courageously. Your story should fit in the pages of the New Testament. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. These guys were beheaded, persecuted, and killed for what they believed. Here is Mike Santiago. Played a lot of golf, killed a lot of deer, but never preached the gospel. I don't want a casual life story. I want a courageous one. Here's Mike Santiago, where at 24, with no promise of anything, moved to a state he had never lived in before, to a city he had never met a single soul, started something in his living room courageously. Here lies Mike Santiago, who after establishing an $8 million transaction with a charter school, could have hung it up and coasted for the rest of his life, decided to launch another location. Why? Because it's courage that leads people to fear the Lord. Here lies Mrs. Stiles, who started a nonprofit for people coming out of the foster care system in transition, living courageously. Thank you for living courageously. Here lies Kirk Leggett, someone who trained people in biblical literacy in the word of the Lord, didn't hold back. Why? Because I want your story to live within the pages of the Bible. Wouldn't it be weird? Like, here's Mr. Rice. Just cut grass his whole life. He owns a landscaping business. That's not what we're, we're going to say about him. He raised his 7,000 kids. There's five? Okay, just five. Might as well be 7,000. Close. He raised his kids to fear the Lord. Him and his wife had a model marriage. He sat on the front row every Sunday and committed his life to live courageously. Here's Bob and Karen Dean. Showed people how to live on a farm and fix small engines, but opened up their home for the gospel of their small group so that people could be in relationship with others. And they live generously because I get duck eggs every single Sunday from their ducks. And I could go on and on about people in this room that are living courageously. I'm grateful for you. We can't live casually. We have to live courageously. And lastly, we have to pray continually. One of the ways to establish the fear of the Lord is just to pray continually. Just pray without ceasing and say, God, what do you have for me today? I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Give me what you got today. So let's just practice that right now at all of our locations, head bowed, eye closed. We just pray right now, God, against any thing that would keep us from the center of your will. I pray right now for every marriage that might be on the outskirts of your will. Bring them back to the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Lord, I pray. Bring us back to biblical literacy. Give us a love for your word like never before. Bring us back, oh God, we pray. I pray that any weapon formed against us will not prosper because we are in the cover of your wings. We are in the shadow of the Most High today. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. We, we just want to learn to fear you. We won't treat you casually anymore. We won't treat you as common. We will treat your presence as uncommon. And may the fear of the Lord be birthed in us today. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's clap our hands for God's word today. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. This ministry is made possible because of the generosity of so many people like you. To partner with us, you can click the link in our description or visit www.givetofocus.com. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe now or share it with a friend. For more inspirational content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash Focus Church. Join us next week for another incredible message.